0: Greetings and salutations ladies and gentlemen It's time to get started The Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast this week was a great one Uh, We've got country soul artist Rowdy on the docket We've got comedian Josh Schneed And Jason Aldean's drummer Rich Redman Huge lineup, fun interviews Thank you for taking the time to listen Let's get this party started What's up, everybody? Josh here from the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Been a crazy week this week. Uh, the sickest I've been in years. I mean, laying in bed, uh, head pounding, nose blocked up, sinus congestion, throat hurting, coughing, body sore. Uh, thought it was the end of the rope for old Josh. Uh, missed like four days of work from both jobs, which is... Hard to believe when you work seven days a week, but I just, I wasn't with it. Uh, Didn't have any energy, couldn't hold composure. Um, So if you're going through that in your life, uh, blessings to you and prayers sent your way because uh, it's awful. Um, Didn't have to go to the hospital, thank goodness. Didn't make it to the doctor. Uh, Self healed, but probably shouldn't have. Probably should have went to the doctor. Uh, not to risk it because my mom's in the hospital right now with it and i've had friends i've seen that have been in the hospital over it don't know what it's called but it's uh pretty mighty and it's sweeping through at least middle tennessee right now uh, the area i reside in so i uh, hope you don't catch that because it's awful. Uh with that being said uh this is saturday and then i, I post on sunday so uh My uh, NFL team, the Tennessee Titans, are in New England. Are going to play the Patriots tonight. Uh, It's going to be a big one, Uh, like a big matchup. Uh, Really feel the Titans are going to pull through this year. Uh, In recent years, I haven't been optimistic, especially the time they went to Foxborough and it was snowing, and they beat them like 55 to nothing, or 59 to nothing, or something like that. But Uh, I think they're due due to beat them this go-around. We've got the leading rusher, the potential uh, rookie of the year, new quarterback Tannehill, who's killing it. Um, So all's well on that end. Um, And uh, the Patriots do have a guy on their team named Shaq Mason. He is a phenomenal offensive lineman. He's actually from the area i live in right now columbia tennessee he's a great human being he always comes back home uh he does a lot of christmas things for underprivileged people in the community uh, is always here to uh uplift the community so hats off to him i am a fan of Shaq mason i uh, would really love when he becomes a free agent or unrestricted or whatever that uh, titans will go ahead and pull the trigger and uh, bring him on back home where he belongs so that would be really groovy with that being said got a lot of Awesome content on the podcast for you today. We've got uh, country soul singer Rowdy. He's uh, got a new album that just came out, a new song, and uh, he is touring with The Almost, which is Aaron Gillespie's outfit, uh, who is also the drummer of Under Oath. He's the vocalist of The Almost. Uh, Rowdy's performing with him uh, as well as opening the show with some of his music, which is uh, Rowdy's a great singer. He's got some great content. I check him out online or uh, wherever social media you gather. He's a it's going to be a going to be a phenomenal solo artist, and I think you'll really enjoy him. Got Rich Redman on the podcast. Uh, Jason Aldean's a drummer, awesome, awesome dude. He uh, he's a motivational speaker now, an actor, has his own podcast, which is really awesome. He does it up really, really well. Really enjoy him. Uh, super cool guy. Uh, maybe you'd like to take the time to check him out. And uh also comedian Josh Sneed, uh, which is if you ever seen his dry bar comedy or anything he performs, he is a great uh, stand-up comedian. He he's a storyteller, and uh his comedy is like smooth and effortless. He can uh, tell jokes and uh he's really really funny. He's gonna be at Zany's Nashville uh next week. So i uh, got a great lineup for you this week and Thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Uh, Sure is a blast to make. Uh, Keeps me occupied. And uh, I'm very privileged to get to speak uh, to a lot of really awesome and fascinating people. People that uh, I really enjoy learning about. And uh, I hope that the content on here uh, provides a little joy for you or a little entertainment. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's fun for me. And I really hope it's fun for you. So thank you for listening. Uh, Enough of my jibba jabba. Uh, On with the show. Thank you. Country soul singer, artist, performer, Rowdy so good at his craft, he only has one name. He's going to be on the If I Believe You Tour with The Almost, which makes us stop in Nashville on January 7th. Be sure to check him out on Spotify and on your social medias. Go listen to him perform live and enjoy his music. That interview's coming up right now. Enjoy. <laughs> um,
1: uh, it calls stuff a Dixie original. The Southern Soul of American Rock and Roll. This guy has got it. I will listen to his new music, and we'll talk about all that. But uh, first of all, which is really cool, uh, to uh, to end this year into the next one, uh, this new single, Hanging On, which is fantastic. Uh, uh, tell us about it. It's coming out uh, tomorrow,
2: right, 31st? Yeah, absolutely. i said it kind of, uh, I kind of went a little cowboy on. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Westerns and, and, and gunslinger things. So like meeting out yeah. in the street, streets at high noon was kind of the idea. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah so um, yeah, hanging on, man. Like I, I, I live an amazing life and I'm very thankful for many blessings that, that the good Lord's given me. But honestly, like when, when you've seen the world and you've got to see so much and, and so many different types of people, you just, you always gravitate back to your roots and back to your home. And and just it kind of a statement, man. Like there's no place I'd rather be than in Tennessee, and that's that's where I want. That's where I'm always going to hang it on.
1: I'm here, and we're and you know we're, we're glad that you're here. Like I said, uh, you've grown up here, uh, Dick's original, Guess what? Like I said, to put it. I've uh, been from East Tennessee now, you know, kind of towards the Middle Tennessee area. But um, uh, yeah, just great music, man. Uh, every song you got, uh, we can feel it in your soul. Uh, my my personal favorite one I I've hit about four or five times was. Revival, just just great, great lyrics, great great tune. Uh, let, let's dig in a little bit of some of these songs.
2: Uh, uh, how'd that one come to be? Uh, revival is sort of sort of a reflection on the way that my mother and father raised me, mm-hmm. um, and I and of course it's it's only a hope of the way that I can reflect it back into my own parenting. I got a four year old and uh, almost one year old uh, nice. little girl, little girl named Bristol, and I kind of herald her name for the first place. Central music. Heck and, yeah. uh, and my little boy named Hawk, uh, sort of a little bit more of a, of a, a native stance, but it stands, you know, for provider. And, and I feel like my wife and I are in a really beautiful place in our lives. We felt like we've always been provided for, but revival seriously is, is after once again, traveling this, this, this world, like you kind of see so many different, you know, cultures, so many different styles of, 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 you know, friendships, parenting, um, uh, relationships, marriages, uh, and at the end of the day, like I only hope to instill in my kids the same pride, authenticity, and wholesomeness, and and full of uh, value type of love um, that my parents set inside my heart. And it's almost in saying like, let's shake the let's shake the world free from from all the things that won't make it through the fire, and let's yeah. get this re- let's get this revival of of, of a true like wholesome. Household, you know, let's put let's instill that back in our children. Let's instill it back in our society. You know, coming from the, the southern United States, you know, it's a fa- family values are, are are a bit deep and they run deep. No matter what comes in between you, you always gather around the, the table for supper. And come the most important times, and and um, I feel like once again revival is is a reflection of no matter what, uh, you always show your family love, whether it be by blood or bond family always deserves the best that you love
1: well put man that beautiful poetry and like i told you i'm gonna say it to people that listen but uh one thing you and johnny cash have in common is that you put your heart right on your sleeve and you're authentic with your songs and the way you sing them uh people they, they they're gonna believe them and, and that's one gift you have and, and that's that's how that resonated with me when i first heard revival because i felt that you know like what you just described it's how a, another fellow southerner feels the same way it's wow. like you know with the, what we're lacking and what we're needing it all ties in right with that like you said i mean if we can all meet in the middle you know and just do what we do and just appreciate the small things and everything you're going to be good to go and hey just right on the money man
2: Excellent. that's that's awesome to hear you know I, I, as a as you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the listeners, and I'm thankful for the people that want to push play. But at the end of the day, I just don't—I don't want to waste anybody's time. Like, I, I really want them to be able to have something to walk away from. If they're going to spend three minutes and thirty seconds of their time listening to something, I got to say, well, I got—I got to say something, and I—and and, and I, I really want to—I want to bring them to to the to the core of their humanity. Like, what matters. What genuinely matters at the end of the day? What matters? Uh, what, what, what do they give their heart to and what do they want to put in their heart? And, and, and I'm hopefully uh, helping them understand what's the, what, some of the best elements to have as a part of their life, traditions and, and, and it, the heritage of, of the things that I believe in might not be exactly what they believe in, but at the same time it gives them something to think about, something to chew on. And, like I said, I really hope it only it makes things better for them or or makes them uh, pu- push them towards making better decisions for themselves.
1: Yeah, because um uh, with, with these songs, uh, like I said, if you if you're somewhere to where you could hear them, <clears throat> like, like with me, um, you know, I put it in when I knew I had a little bit of length to actually sit and take in all the album, you know, like I had a little bit of a drive I had to take today. And if you sit and listen to them, and even if it played, like let's say these songs play in a rotation on Spotify, you know how sometimes, let's say you'll be listening to Waylon Jennings, and you'll get like a random pop here, and you'll be listening to whatever. Right. right. Let's say if somebody gets a little bit of rowdy, it's going to command your attention. Uh, your attention with how how raw it is, and how and how personal, and how great it sounds, and how it all meshes together. And it just it, it it's just like an organic album. It's like it's like nothing we've had in a while, man. And I can tell you put everything in it. Oh man,
2: that's awesome! Yeah, did you that.
1: did you write all these songs, or is this a myriad of your
2: songs and somebody else's songs, or what? What is this all about? This uh, album? That's that's all. That's all me, man. Honestly, like staring through a a, a Prevost windshield. Honestly, like over the years, of, <laughs> over, yeah. over the years of 2015, 16, and 17, my wife was gracious enough to let me go out with back out with the Under Oath boys. This is after Aaron took a little bit of a hiatus, and the boys kind of split up and. And they did a rebirth tour in 2016, and mm-hmm. they they just wanted to get all the, the the original posse back together, get all the outfits, and we're gonna ride or die again. And, yeah. And, and they pulled me back in, and and Aaron, of course, is, you know, we we're rekindling our our our, flam, our friendship and our flame And then he started kind of finding out, like I've been on the pen and paper myself for a while, and he had been doing it himself, and and we started talking about, you know. Country music, how much we love country music, how much we love the South, how much we love NASCAR, how yeah. much we all—all the, all the things we grew up loving—and we both just went through actually some big changes in our lives personally, and and, and landed on our feet, luckily and, and fortunately, but we we just had a moment to kind of reflect over the those past few years that were kind of like we're where we were separated, but it's almost like we never missed a beat, and then I just started documenting everything that that I was. I was feeling, I was experiencing because I just, you know, like I said, got married a few years before, just had my my first baby, uh, mm-hmm. and and those things were awesome, and I just needed to let the pressure vibe out a little bit and and kind of document that before I got into writing about the road. So revival sort of came about out of that, and um and here comes uh, you know the song Balladeer, that's sort of a blend of being out on the road and of course yeah. meeting my wife while being out on the adventure. But the rest of the record, you can kind of. See, it's it's like I said, it's, it's it's looking through the front windshield of a of, of a tour bus and and uh, just taking my own time during the tour, not not being so caught up in any hype. We had days off. I was had a guitar in my hand and pen and paper, and and I just took it really seriously because I knew that those were some of the most formidable and best days to have some of the best content that I was ever going to write for that you know that time in that time that I was there. Um, so I just really just really took to writing and writing and Aaron encouraged it all the guys encouraged it I, they would be going out doing stuff and they were like nope Ralph is in the back of the bus he's got a guitar out let's let him be so I hear you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> honestly yeah and and that's great because I'm telling you the the way you can write a song there are people that can go a lifetime that can't do it uh you just have a gift for it there you know there are people that spend you know years and years and they they can't put half down what, what you put down like like dick's but um which I enjoyed Dixie Land. My ADD was kicking in. <laughs> what uh, I was gonna say <laughs> yeah. to you, Uh man overboard! Now that's a song you've had to experience or known to my experiences because you you feel the pain and in, in every ounce of that.
2: That that song is a reflection. Um, <laughs> excuse me, I'm just Sorry. getting over a little bit of a the crowd. I think I think we all are getting a little. Yeah, bit yeah, of yeah.
1: A little bit. absolutely.
2: Um, so. Man Overboard is a very interesting song. I I, I went through a divorce back in two thousand and ten, two thousand eleven, uh-huh. and you know, the, me and Mike's wife, we, everything was fine. We we parted ways, and and um, you know, fortunately to both of us, we we, we kind of got out of it unscathed there wasn't really much that that we kind of had together no children no you know really no property no 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 none of the d's if you know what i'm saying
1: what have it no pets no dogs though that's a tough one
2: exactly none of that
1: and we, <laughs> yeah. we were
2: it was it was, it was it was pretty clean but anyways you know not to glorify it as much but like uh, we uh-huh. just we made the decision for ourselves and so I kind of was going through that feeling. Um, we, we did have, like, uh, these big plans, and that sort of goes to the idea. Like, I'd never been on a cruise before, and I just felt like that was something we were going to, like, get into. And I don't, know yeah. why, I don't know why I leaned so much into the idea of a cruise. And, you know, growing up in, in Tennessee or East Tennessee, you hear all your friends going to Myrtle Beach or going to Daytona or Panama yeah. City for all these things. And I never was one of those guys. I just went to the lake. Um, yeah. But I just kind of like, I guess, leaned into the idea of like you know wishful thinking of of, of something that I, I, I wanted to do. But yeah, I still experienced heartbreak. But I just tried to tie the two together, and and I I walk I just I literally wrote that song years after my divorce, and it, it I I walked back through, and I think it actually did me some good to do that. Obviously, a great song came out of it. I feel like, but. Mhm healing for myself I was able to really put on paper like the way I actually felt like how lonely and 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 I, just how I wasn't certain of anything but like I'd emptied myself into this person but uh, it's almost like I just drowned in my own like empty, like I drowned in my own like, flooding of emotion and feelings that I gave to her because it went nowhere but just over my head um and you know you kind of hear you hear that in this man's desk Desperation, and then it's funny. Uh, just a couple of years ago, Aaron did a uh, a warped cruise, and the warped tour did like a cruise with with some of the the the, uh, the people who are, I guess, that've been involved with warped tour um, a whole lot. It's like the alumni kind of thing. But we went on a cruise, and I got to go on the cruise actually. And I sat in the back of the boat, pulling out of a harbor of the Mississippi from Baton Rouge, or sorry, from uh, New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And I just started thumbing that song, and I hadn't completed it yet, but I sat on the back of that boat. Everybody's inside partying. They're doing their thing. I'm on the back of this boat singing sad country songs. (laughs) (laughs) While, I, yeah. <laughs> while 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 some forty one and and good Charlotte and all these guys are inside like p- playing you know super popper punk songs, I'm yeah. on the back deck crying my eyes out <laughs> writing the rest of this song because I just knew that this was going to be the most authentic way to talk about it. And my wife was supposed to, supposed to come on my 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 new wife her name's Amanda,
3: um,
2: uh-huh. she was supposed to come on that trip with me and she didn't. So I I, I was able to fill the true loneliness of not her not being there and having the room to myself and all these things. Yeah. So the the authenticity of the song came from a few different points, but really what it, where it came from was just a place of being honest with myself and just walking back through such a hard traumatic time in my life and being honest with myself and what it did to me. And that seems to make the best songs, man, honestly.
1: Yeah. And, and another thing, and, and I'm going to give you some props here is that the fact that, uh, the, the the key to what's gonna make you the biggest thing since sliced bread, um, is because like you're describing, you know not to put your gift on the back burner. And, yeah. and, and I mean it was funny, that's why I'm giggling, because I know how you feel with certain things. Like you're talking about, like you said, you're in there in 741, forty one and here I am listening in my back of my brain I'm hearing, you know, storming through with a party, like El Nino and you're, you're everybody's jumping up and down, and you're like back here pinning this really awesome song. And uh, that, I mean that's that's how you got to do it, man. Um, and but uh, what 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 I was going to tell you that, that that made it the reason I was like he's either lived or known somebody that has is because you did share your feelings and you wrote it uh, from the man's perspective. You you because I mean you hear these kind of heartbreak songs, but you're describing it like, like me and you, and I can tell looking at you, you now, I'm your, I'm your fan there on Facebook. Now we're, we're these burly men, men. you know, we're, yeah, we're like, right. we're like your good old guys. Like we'll get up under the car and then, you know, put our NASCAR shirt on and go to church. But, right, uh, right. but exactly. um, to be able to, to be that authentic, you know, and I can sit in here and, and I know how you feel like being from Tennessee, like I said, I like, same thing you've been out in the woods and everything, but every once in a while there's a little treat. Like you said, you'll get to go on a cruise or you'll get to go do this or that. And yeah. you, and you just sit back and you just, and the way you're describing it and the feelings and, and drinking at the bar and trading the table, I was like, Oh my gosh, dude, this guy has either. Cause I mean, that's how people they are going to feel that they're going to feel that heart, you know, sliced wide open and they're going to feel you know, Oh man, my table. that I'm sitting here. We've all been there. You know, it's a, it's like a rite of passage, but man, um, it is a sad song, but beautifully <laughs> written, and I love the origin story because that is just perfect. I could just see you now. You're, everybody's partying, and you're like, here I am, just giving it my all. You know, do, doing my best. Yeah, yeah good, Charlotte. You're crying. I'm like, man, thank you. I appreciate your crying, but, you know, we're just trying
2: to have a good time. <laughs> 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 Dude, you should have seen. They got the stage they had set up over the pool on the front deck and all this. I mean, like, it was a warped tour. If you've ever been to a warped tour, yeah it's, it's basically it's like going to a Disneyland for pop punk kids you know yeah. it's 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 anything and everything they would ever want their daily lives to look like, but they <laughs> get it one time a year so Kevin Lyman did every all these sad boys and sad girls and emo kids a favor and gave them a disney world of of emo proportions sad kid proportions <laughs> every. So and it was all enthralled. Everything that involved their lifestyle, it was just that you know it, it sort of encapsulated them for that one day. And the bands that were involved, the crew, it's just an amazing feat actually. Under Oath has done quite a few, and the Almost has actually done quite a few. Um, yeah. But but this one being on the boat, like you you were in it. You couldn't just get off and go walk across the Gulf of Mexico. You were just. <laughs> you were in it so i literally had to find like a hole you know to to be able to do this country thing for yeah. for the moment i needed to but it was but it was it was beautiful cuz i think aaron was like aaron was what I, how i actually wrote it or 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 like i will say i finished it like a good finishing work you know at, when you're building a house like finishing where you put the trim up like that's what i was doing i was trimming the song yeah. so aaron was actually looking for me i had his guitar cuz he was wanting to play a pop up acoustic set and he kept calling me going, I'm on the front deck, I'm on the front and he was he was wild that night, dude. He was he was throwing them back and having a good time, which is <laughs> was the whole point. Yeah. But he would call and I would go to the front deck and he's calling me saying, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle of the boat and I'm like, All right, so I'm taking this elevator up and down, going back front, but an hour and a half goes by and he ends up him and his wife end up in their room and they, they're done for the night. And I had been on foot for two hours chasing his ass, looking to give him his guitar. So I finally just said, you know what, forget it. And I sat down and opened up his guitar case. He's got like an old 50s Martin. And so oh, I'm wow. sitting, I just sat back there picking on this thing, and I just was feeling it. And, you know, I just was like, you know what, it doesn't matter. All of that was worth it, just to be able to have this moment right now.
1: So uh, that's it. Hey man, what what a great story! I can't. One day you'll be playing that on a crossroad or something and just tickle a whole audience. <laughs> it's, man, it's, uh, I'm so, I know it's not funny, but it is. I mean, <laughs> but, oh, but, you know, it's very all, funny. Yeah, we've all been there. Um, another thing I wanted to comment on: uh, I love, like I said, I've got you know I've done the ancestor dot com, and you know I'm nineteen hundred times removed, but. The Native American culture. I, I love the the way you have captured that into your like your merch and everything. That that was brilliant you done. Whose idea was that? Because you get the feel of like the like like kind of like the old west, and then you got like the you know the Native American man and the skull and everything. That that was a cool concept. Whoever came up with that.
2: Now, that the, I, now I've I've always had an appreciation for the Native American culture. Just mm-hmm. at, especially finding out like sort of where the roots of our our government and what we have a lot today and what we know is North America is, is deeply rooted in, um, in native American culture. Uh, you know, just a quick glass, you know, like as far as our government is ran, like the articles of Confederacy were actually mimicked after the Iroquois Confederacy, which was like a Northern band of, of tribes that joined together to kind of just promote, to promote peace, but continuity between their tribes, since there was such a distance, they became geologically aware that, you know, we have, time and space that kind of separates us but we can believe in the same things that way we stand for the same things when when people are coming pioneers are coming from the north from the south or from you know directly from the east that we can all speak the same language and the same terms so it will definitely appear as a nation rather than just separate tribes so they they built that idea and we really leaned our government concept against that and how much that is reflected into modern society, um, you have to kind of dig to see it, but it's all there. And so I just kind of, like I said, I've always kind of been uh, intrigued by Native American culture, but when you get sort of like away from the the eastern United States going in more of the plains um, and getting out into the desert, you see continuity and consistency in in what all the tribes stood for, even though there was miles and miles and miles of, of, of area. Different styles of land, culture based on how they even fed themselves and how they lived, based on like nature that was around them, like they, they, that, that's what gave them life. like you saw a consistency through all of that, and and in my mind, I'm going, this was something that was categorically it was it, it made sense and it was assembled and it was working before mm-hmm. before it, England or any European settlers came to America. To, to, to push this idea of civilization onto the north american region there was something already in progress and i'm intrigued to see how that would have unfolded if there would been collectively a little bit more understanding between the european cultures and the native american culture. like in my mind i'm going i wonder what it would look like so i'm sort of going back to this way of life that i've believe was like i said they, they had their struggles that you know that their, their history you know speaks of you know wars and 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 disruptions between you know cultures and different tribes but mm-hmm. at the end of the day they all promoted the same thing like we all live off the land let's respect the land and respect each other and let's keep our own territory and just and respect each other that's you know at, at the end of the day that's that's all that mattered to them and um, the, the actual skull and, and the headdress you see, his name is Captain Jack, and there's a Modoc tribe story. I'll tell you, give you a little history lesson. So in right. northern Northern California, <clears throat> excuse me, the Modoc tribe um, it, uh, assembled up there. You know, I think it was just a few thousand, but at the United States Calvary at the time, they were trying to round up different different tribes and put them into these, you know, reservations, like these pieces of land that they reserved for them to be able to live on and inhabit while basically the United States or at the time, like the U S was trying to expand into new territories and use the resources of those territories to grow what they wanted to do. But the Modoc tribe, literally said, no way, Jose, we want this river valley. It's ours. It's been ours for thousands of years. I don't know who you think you are, but we're yeah. going to stand for this. We're going to fight for this. So Captain Jack and 400 – oh, like I think right around 400 warriors held off thousands and thousands of cavalrymen for months and months and months at a time in these lava fields. They knew guerrilla warfare, which, once again – The American government was able to lean into that idea of warfare and start learning from the natives of, like, oh, you don't have to stand in a line? You mean you don't have to stand all the way, like, in a line out in the middle of a field and get shot at? (laughs) So (laughs) they're leaning into this idea, and they start learning back. But Captain Jack stood for what he believed in, believed in his culture, his heritage, believed in his tribe's honor and ownership of this land that was given to him by God is what they said. And yeah. they believed in fighting for him and stood up for what he believed in all the way to the point of his own death. And it, it, like I said, him and just a handful considerable against the uh, thousands of men that were trying to come and, and take them and rank round them up and get them out of there. They were able to hold them all off and, and, and preserve their family and preserve their, their rights and their ideas. And for me on my five acres, and this beautiful land we call America that, that I say don't tread on me, like I'll respect you, you respect me. Like I believe in that way of life. I believe in working hard. I believe you get things done by the calluses on your hands. I believe mm-hmm. that you raise your children by principle and value to respect others, but don't be afraid to get out there and kick ass and get what you want. But yeah. at, the, at the same time, don't be, don't be afraid to step back and let somebody else. Like take the lap away from you if they got a faster car. Like you just got to be respectful. You got to really, really hone in what the purpose of everything is. Is is, yes, you do need to learn. You do need to live. You do need to uh, uh, make your dream a reality. But it it better not disrupt someone else's ability to do the same thing, and they and 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 them in their right too. It better not be disrupting yours. So it's like collectively working together. And I genuinely believe at one day, at one time, that there could have been this, this other reality that existed between this Native culture and what we have as far as, like, the, the pioneer society. And, and, like, there was, you know, collectively, there was relationships between, like, people who were pioneering the United States, and, and the Native Americans. There were great relationships that were had, and those were written in the history books. And, you know, you got Buffalo Bill, and um, uh, I think it was Crazy Horse. They became really, really good friends, and they're, you know, as far as, like, brothers almost. And you hear about these, you know, it was a relationship that was heralded. They made a, a traveling play around it, and they went and showed it to the rest of America. Like, here's the legend of, you know, crazy horse and Buffalo Bill. But, but that's, that's, once again, that's a, a old Western uh, in frame of mind uh, that I, that I like. I mean, growing up in East Tennessee, my grandparents, uh, my granddaddy watched Westerns and, and my, you know, my, my granddaddy, he's still alive. He, he still watches Westerns. It's always been a part of my life, but I really dug deeper into the concept of native American culture. And I really wanted to brand myself by that because, I feel like it's something that's timeless, and it's just wholesome. It's full of value, and it's something you can sink your teeth into and really get something out of it, honestly.
1: Absolutely. I'm with you. And, uh, uh, and and you talking about that also and seeing the pictures uh, reminded me, if you haven't seen it yet, first of all, you've got to eventually get to Muscle Shoals and record, record in Fame Studios. They, they love what they will dig what you've got. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. and uh, if you haven't been there yet, and then if you ever do get to Muscle Shoals, you got to go see the Tom Hendricks Wall. If you're big into Native Americans, because that will put goosebumps on top of your goosebumps if you've <laughs> never seen it.
2: No, uh, I did. I did get to visit Fame. I, I went on a little trip my by myself after uh, like visiting my family down. They live down in Huntsville, Alabama, uh-huh. and I did roll through there. I didn't. the The lady that was at the front, I think it's. I think it's his now. Uh, his wife, I guess she's she's still there running the gift shop. But she let me come in come in and they were doing a session. Somebody like Leon Bridges was there, I think. And they <laughs> yeah. they they just so happened to let me come in. She's like, Oh come on in honey and you know and yeah. she let me walk she let me walk around and like kinda do it. Which real quick, like I also stopped by um the uh the, the the muscle soul studio that's uh, yeah. Jackson the Jackson Highway location.
1: Yes, yes, yes. The, all the Swampers, yeah.
2: All the Swampers were there doing a, a photo shoot for a magazine and I got to oh meet my all them. Oh so, dude, how cool. You talk about a day.
1: Oh man, no kidding. <laughs> gosh, that's that's amazing. That's that's not quite what I get when I go out there. But I, I, I've done a <laughs> tour and everything. But anyway. Uh, just a couple of miles from both of them, uh, if you, they never told you, is the Tom Hendricks wall. Have you heard about that story? I've not heard about that. Okay, I'm I'm going to give this to you, and then we'll get back into the, the interview portion. But you, you're you so intrigued with Native Americans, as am I, like I said, having a – my great-grandmother was full-blooded and so on and so forth. So um, the Tom Hendricks wall, his – Tom Hendricks, which is he's passed now, but you can go to his house and see this wall – he built this wall with like three million tons of rocks and all kind of stuff to dedicate to his grandmother's trip. Um, they picked her up out of the fields, Native American woman, uh, the whole Trail of Tears thing, and moved her to Oklahoma.
2: Wow.
1: What happened was she said while she was there, you know, she called that river right there where the Tennessee meets uh, there in uh, Alabama, the Singing River. She said, yeah, yeah. She, couldn't, she said she couldn't find that in Oklahoma and couldn't do her ceremonies and give thanks. So the woman walked back to Alabama. It took her five years to get back home, and in honor of her, uh, he built this wall for all the steps she took, and it's just a spiritual place. An Indian man blessed it. I go Every time I go, I'll leave a couple of crosses and like, random spots in the rocks. You want to talk about feeling some energy, dude, and it's just it's it's amazing. Uh, definitely need to see it in your lifetime. You will love it.
2: That's that's incredible to hear because I've I known about the Singing River and I knew about the Native, uh, I guess the, the Cherokees and I think the Apaches are around there. They
4: mm-hmm. they
2: called called it the the, rip, the river of song and they actually referred it to a, as a like a she, you know, like you know she. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. The
2: the, the, sing, the Singing River and I I knew of that and then I think I've heard about this the story of 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 the young lady going out to Oklahoma and not finding it, and then coming back and then that's sorta of like the it's I mean it's, it's what I'm understanding is this is a true story, right?
1: Yes, yes. 100% yeah. correct.
2: This honestly following like the trail back. But I, I've I've heard it referenced to that and actually like where I'm living, uh in Greenbrier, the, the Trail of Tears, the actual like course, they have signs up that are plaque to, along the way, but it literally rolls through the back of my property. The trailer too does.
1: Oh no, kid! No, that's no, groovy, man. No
2: joke. Which is which was interesting finding out. Like after I'd purchased the property, and I kind of went on a map and saw that it was something that that ran that literally came across the back end of my property, and then it continues down a road over here. But um, my grandparents, uh, a couple of my grandparents, lived in uh, Huntsville, and they they raised kids there. And Muscle Shoals was. You know always this this place is a working town, you know, as far as the t v a and and they never really collectively talked about it being like uh, a native American um of, of significance or anything, but digging deeper into that that place is such a sacred meeting place for many tribes like they yeah. would they would go there, and the spirit of that place where the water's constantly rolling through the shoals like it 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 led off some it was it's some form of um like just i don't know they, i don't want to say magic but like it's it's some phenomenon there that they feel like that there's a vibration in the air that's caused from the water and yeah it's like you if you can hone into it you can pick up on it if you take the time to sit still i don't know how many people are stopping to listen anymore but i've definitely took the time to stop and listen
1: yeah shoot sure, yeah and i know you said you said magic but like it's something to it because i mean you got to think back in the day when when bands were coming there to record I mean, the Rolling Stones went there, and all it was was a bunch of fields and like a recording studio and a couple of general stores and stuff. There had to been something to it. Oh, for sure.
2: Quiet, <laughs> very quiet. Where you yeah. had to, you were forced <laughs> to sit and listen. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. You didn't have no other choice. There wasn't too much to do. You couldn't run down the street and go to a movie or anything.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. Um,
1: anyway, uh, let's let's get back to the like uh, the show which I saw uh, Nashville, January seventh. Uh, with the almost, you're performing uh, uh, your music, and then um, let me get this straight: you perform with the almost as well.
2: Yeah, so um, the the relationship I have with Aaron, he he sort of kind of picked me up as he uh, sort of as a developmental deal. Him and I, I mean, it's honestly all in a, on a spit and a handshake with me and him. He's my brother till yeah. death. Like, we we ride or die together. He's my main man. So he sort of picked me up and and is kind of developing this idea and put me out there as, as an artist. And I'm kind of giving the allegiance back to him by, by working hard and helping him out, being the drum tech with under oath and, and then, you know, songwriting together. But he, when he assembled the almost back together, he said he doesn't want to do this with anybody, but his brothers. And he, uh, he blessed me with uh, asking me to, to be a part of the band and playing bass, and I grew up playing bass in rock bands. You know, I, I'm very familiar yeah. with that instrument the most. So yeah, I'll get to be I'll be pulling a double duty. I'll be opening up the show, bleeding on the microphone a little bit, singing some songs, and then uh, you know the two other bands are playing, and then uh, the almost comes up, and I'll be playing bass and and uh, supporting Aaron out there.
1: Yeah, that's the life, man. That's the way to do it. But
2: um, uh, like
1: I said, myself, I play a couple instruments, so I'm with you. But I've always loved the drums, and and Aaron can sling with them and sing at the same time, which is hard to do. I mean, there's a handful that did it, but it's not an easy
2: task. No, no, it's not. Man. But, but and my, it, yeah, he but had it, to. It, he had to. No, he had to. He had to teach himself. I mean, if you heard some of the early music that that they, that they played, yeah. you, you have to wonder how he even did it. But he he is so, he embodies such a i mean a, a groove a uh, a rock groove element like he has his own way of doing all of it and keeping up with it it's amazing to watch him every night do what he does cuz it's genuinely a very unique craft i hear you brother but um and i I'll, i I'll, I'll, like i said i uh one more question
1: for you, and then and we'll we'll get after it and uh I won't take up too much of your time, but I really did enjoy talking with you. But what what was the tie-in? How does a Tennessee boy get hooked up? Who's, who's country to the core? Like I said, southern rock country. Get hooked up with, like, the bands I listen
2: to when I'm at the gym working out. <laughs> you know? uh, right. Well, uh, I'm going to take it back, man. 2003, um, I, was, I was in, like, a little outfit there in East Tennessee and was good friends with some boys in a band called The Showdown. Yeah, right on. And uh, they asked me to come out um, and help tour manage and do some, like, production manage stuff. You know, at the time, it was kind of do it all and do it all for, like, little to nothing a week because that's just the way all bands did it in the, at that era. And, yeah, Under Oath, and Under Oath just came out, and they were sort of at the top of the scene, and you had, you know, Beloved and Beloved and the Chariot, and um, He is Legend, and these other, you know, big tooth and nail bands. And and uh, we just got out on the road, and, and we just kind of, like, rubbed elbows with a lot of different people and and at the time like you know big bands were sort of uh coming in a farming crew out of these you know younger bands just because they kind of like they wanted good good people on the road with them and they had that ability to offer a job so i just you know the showdown was a pretty is a heavy metal heavy rock band and we played a lot of the same festivals with under oath and chris dudley actually he's the keyboard player under oath he He reached out to me. He got my phone number and reached out to me. Um, David Bunton, the lead singer of the showdown, him and Chris were good friends, and Chris got my number from David, and Chris called me up and asked if I wanted to tour manage them, and they were about to do like a huge run with Define the Great Line uh, record they had put out, and I said, you know what? I'm probably not going to be like well as versed as you want me to be to be the tour manager for your operation. Like we're talking two buses and a truck, and I'm like, just getting out of a 15-passenger van and a trailer. so Yeah, and I'll, a
1: kind of line at that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So
2: <laughs> I said, I said, give me something a little bit easier. And so he's like, yeah, absolutely. So I I drove, I actually drove, I had my CDL. So I drove their truck that had their uh, equipment in it. And then I just, me and Aaron, honestly, just hit it off. And he didn't have a drum check on that tour. And I just started, I just, I just wanted to do something different than drive the truck. I wanted to get on the bus. And, um, I just started drum checking for him. So I had to go to sleep to drive the 12 hours a night, but I uh-huh. would st- I would stay up and I would go, uh, you know, set up his drums, get it all sound checked and everything, go back to the hotel, sleep for six hours, come back, break it all down, put it in the truck, drive 12 hours, do it all over again. And I just gave it my all. And Aaron's like, well, you're the dude I want out here with me. I know that you're definitely a ride or die uh, material here. So,
1: yeah.
2: um, Kim, the guitar player, always says, "Dude, you moved up from the truck to the bus." From the tr- <laughs> he said, "From the truck to the bunk." It's Rowdy's success story. So. Yeah, heck yeah, man! Yeah, you get a piece of that. You get a piece
1: of that bunk when the curtain closes, man. You're in there. Okay, oh, well, dude! Ready.
2: Oh, man! That's some of the best sleep <laughs> I've ever gotten. Mainly because I don't have a four year old coming and, and saying, "Daddy, daddy, daddy!" at six a.m. in the morning. But
1: yeah.
2: I, I love that too. <laughs> I hear, you. hey
1: man, you wouldn't trade for nothing.
2: that. That's a great story. That, I was, you know, I just I was a little curious
1: about that. I was like, okay, this guy right here has got the country of America, all, you know, Americana root. He has it all covered in, in his album. And I'm like, <laughs> and on the other hand, I've listened to Under Oath. I've seen them. Like, you're talking about that keyboard player. I don't know how he doesn't have a migraine every night. That dude headbangs like, the whole hour there on
2: stage. But he don't stop. Man, we have the hardest time keeping a riser from scooting off the front of the stage, man, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, he ain't My no joke, kid. dude. You just look at him and he's giving it his all, dude. We, we, we literally have used everything to keep his riser from scooting out so far that the, the bass player don't have no place to play. But oh, he, uh, Chris, honestly, man, like that dude rocks harder than anybody in metal music, and i, I mean, you could put that in the books. But Chris yeah. Dudley, Chris Dudley rocks harder than any guy out there, honestly.
1: Yeah, he, uh, I mean, he does. He puts it in his all. Like I've, you know, I saw the YouTube and stuff, and then I happen, I've, I've, catch, I've seen him two times. I saw him once with Anne You're talking about Tooth and Nail. Yeah, uh, this was, you know, you know, a thousand years ago, obviously, and then saw them. You know, they they opened for Allison Chains and Corn. And I was like, man, that dude right there, he ain't not skipped a beat. We're talking about you know, at least six, seven years between two tours. Two I was like, dude, he is in it, man. He's in it to win it. That His neck has to be – he probably has to go to the chiropractor at least once a week.
2: <laughs> oh, dude, he, for sure, and, and you know what's funny? He is the nicest guy that you will ever meet, the sweetest dude, but when he's on stage, you would just think that there's a honest-to-God panther chasing his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely
1: right, yeah, I mean, you're talking about the keyboard playing, that's the first thing you think about, you just see that blonde hair bobbing
2: everywhere, man, he's he in it. It's the best, dude. And he'll he and when we get a new. It's awesome. The initiation when we get a new crew member out on the road is he'll he'll in a frantic like a panic like call him over, and we all know what's going on. But he'll call him over, and of course the the crew member's like, oh my gosh! Like he goes running over there, and Chris is like, looks like he's freaked out. And as soon as they get over there, Chris just puts his hand up for a high five, and the <laughs> and the crew members just like what? And we're all just like you know busting yeah. out. I'm like ah ha ha. And Chris yeah, is like sure. yeah.
1: That's got perfect. you got, yeah. got it got it got, <laughs> got to initiate them a little bit
0: next up on the podcast just for you comedian josh sneed he'll be performing stand-up at zany's nashville on january 8th here that conversation is now enjoy
1: Another Josh, a hilarious Josh, Josh Sneed. Um Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, really glad to have coming to Zany's Nashville
4: January 8th.
1: Uh, everybody's going to have a really good time. This is going to be hilarious. So thank you for taking the time. We really, really appreciate it.
4: Oh, man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, like I said, coming off watching your YouTube's on dry Bar, man, it's some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard in my life. Uh, watching or listening to the the uh, the uh, you know, I don't want to give away too much. You said, but the 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 candle, the talking about the candles, man, that threw me for a loop because as a has a heavy southern boy, that's my kind of candle. If I am going
4: there, that'd be what I'd be looking for. <laughs> it's funny because uh, the first time I told that joke on TV was my Comedy Central special. Uh and um you know i I do this joke about mashed potato candles and now every time that there's something uh released to the public that has anything to do with fast food air fresheners or candles (laughs) or anything like i get tagged by a million people that are like josh would like this you know kentucky fried chicken had a a log that smelled like KFC cooking and yeah, White Castle yeah. did air fresheners. And anytime something like that comes up, people automatically go, I bet Josh would like this. <laughs> so maybe I should start writing material about uh, things that I would love people to tag me in and, and, and think of me. You know, because <laughs> I'm not sure that's super flattering. That's like, oh, yeah, here's a, here's a story about eating as much corn as you could ever want. I bet Josh Schnee would like that. You know, I want to I be kind of top of mind for more more pleasant topics. Yeah, yeah,
1: Don't want you to feel left out. You were know, talking about stuff. Do you remember uh, when KFC had uh, the fingernail polish that smelled like chicken? Oh,
4: no. But, you know, my whole point is, like, if you're going to spend money on fingernail polish to have your fingers smell like KFC, why not just – Enjoy the KFC and exactly. get that aroma naturally. Like <laughs> I, it's like, Stu, like you could just buy a KFC and have your finger smell that way. I yeah. saw, I saw a, a a can of white cheddar popcorn flavored Pringles. Wow! And they were more expensive than a bag of white cheddar popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around why people would want to buy. This this is more expensive than the thing that you want it to taste like.
0: Yes,
1: that's that's crazy but it's true. Yeah, it's so wild. I haven't seen that yet. I'll have to check my local Walmart here. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I I love that cheddar popcorn
4: though. oh uh, um yeah,
1: what was I going Oh yeah. Did you have a good New Year's? It was just it was literally well, yesterday.
4: <laughs> uh I did, you know, um for comedians New Year's Eve is typically the biggest night of the year because, you know, comedy clubs charge a lot more, so the comedy pay is a lot higher. So I've always worked on New Year's Eve. And sometimes it's really good shows. Sometimes it could be a debacle just based on how much pre-gaming the audience has done before they get to the show. Sure, But sure. but this year um, I just decided to not work on New Year's Eve and just stay home and have the first ever, you know, midnight countdown with uh, being at home with the family. And it was really nice. It was it was very pleasant uh, change of pace for me on New Year's Eve to just be home and enjoy it instead of working somewhere and being on stage in a city watching people make out at midnight while I just stand on stage like <laughs> a big idiot.
1: Yeah. with the mic in your hand, just kind of color commentating. But right. uh, yeah, well, being a family man, I know you got two nice-looking kids. I, I'm on your uh, fan uh, page. Uh, I got the like button page going. But you know, look like a good group, and looks like they adore you. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's about anyway. Kind of hanging out with family. So that's that's really cool. Like you said, and the change of pace, uh, being there versus uh, with the people that some of them might have had too many spirits that night. If you catch my drift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: a little yeah. too spirited would be that's a perfect it. way to describe. Yeah. Uh, so, how old are your kids? Because I saw you have like a Christmas picture of them, but how old are they?
4: My son is eight, and my daughter is three.
1: Nice. So that's those are fun ages. Wait, uh, I have some teenagers, so I understand.
4: Oh man, I, I, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. I've, I heard nothing but horror stories, but I also always question how good of parents the people who tell me these horror stories are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah. it sounds like it's inevitable that no matter how hard you try, at some point your child is going to hate you for a couple years. So I'm just not, I haven't come to grips with the fact that that's a possibility. I'd, I'm certainly enjoying the, the fact that they're excited to see me when I walk through the door.
1: Exactly. Like, like having a puppy almost, they still use yeah. the grandest thing ever.
4: Yeah. That was like, and I'm not going to tell you a
1: horror story, but I will tell you something funny. For Christmas, I don't know, you may have saw the little, Video snippet where the girl opens the banana. She's so excited.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. She thinks it's her present. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. They did it as a joke, but like she was so excited. I, I, I posted underneath it. I said, "Wait till she's 16 and gift her after a banana and see what happens."
4: Yeah, you know, just, just basically, you know. It's it's true though. I mean, like I'm I'm learning that it's not anything to do with how good of a parent you are. It's just inevitable. The yeah. day that my son was born, the day he was born, I had some, you know, I was talking about how awesome it was to to be at an and to have a, a baby son. And one of my friends was like, wait till he's 16 and calls you a jerk because you won't let him borrow the car. And I'm like, dude, can I have like a week of yeah. just being happy <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. before you go telling me everything I'm going to hate about it one day 16 yeah. years from now?
1: It's just with everything. It's just you know. It's it's just day by day. You just enjoy it. I mean, everything. And it always comes full full circle and comes right back. You know, it, it all pans out. You know, yeah. I, I uh, we everybody's got their stories. Sometimes people embellish them, but you know, as long as you you know there's love involved and 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 you know you can talk and understanding and you know who's the dependent adult. It it all pans out. You know, it's no well, it's that's not good that here. Yeah, you're gonna be just fine. I started young, so I was kids with kids. If you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. like we were both, uh, you know, I was worried about getting to detention the same time my oldest daughter was. I was like, I hope she doesn't get in trouble because, I mean, she's my <laughs> ride home, you know. But, um, anyway.
4: Uh, At least you got somebody to help you with your homework.
1: That's right, because she's totally surpassed me, which was which was fantastic. She, uh, <laughs> And she took her notes to the grindstone. She studies, and, you know, she's, you know, in school now, and I couldn't ask for a better kid. Yeah, she's better than what I deserve, so.
4: That's great, man. That's great.
1: But yeah. Um. Anyway, so we were talking about New Year's. Did you have any
4: resolutions? I, I have, of
1: course, the, the same thing. You know, I, I'm a part timer at Planet Fitness. I'm sure you guys have them up there, but mine's actually less working in there and more hitting that elliptical. So I don't know if you had any <laughs> resolutions or anything.
4: Um. It's you know, I'm I'm ashamed to admit that they are the same as every year, and then the hope just becomes that this year they'll actually stick. But yeah. Um. I'd like to get in better shape. And then uh, the one goal that I've, I've set for myself this year that I actually have made some progress on recently is uh, to, to record my next album or special this year. Yeah. It's been a couple years since I did my last one. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to take a lot of time off from comedy to stay home and be a dad and do uh, dad stuff. And, um, you know, that's, that was kind of my one fear even when I first started doing standup was that it would come the day where it was a, it felt like a job and it was a chore and luckily, you know, through some other ventures I've had, I've been able to make sure comedy stays fun
1: by not
4: having to do it. And, uh, you know, so now I'm 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 in a position where I I only take dates in at clubs or in cities that I really want to be in. So like Zany's is such an amazing club, and like one of my you know some of my best memories as a comedian are performing at that club. And it's been so long since I've been there, so I jumped at the chance to come, even if it was just for one night. Um, but you know, in doing that, in taking that much time away from the stage to be home. I started to have a lot of things I wanted to talk about on stage, but I really wasn't getting enough stage time to to try them out. Uh And so I've booked a bunch of stuff uh, this past fall and winter. And then, you know, starting in in the first few months of 2020, I'm going to be on the road a lot to really work out a lot of these ideas I've had in my head in the hopes that sometime later this year, I'll be able to film a new special.
1: Right on. Hey, that's the way to do it. That's awesome. Like I said, we're glad to have you. One of the best things is having – literally one club here as opposed to like in New York's in L.A. is that uh, the people that, that go, they're really grateful to see comedy. Like for the most part, there's a heckler or two, but usually somebody escorts them out within five minutes. So.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I've never had a bad experience at Zaney's, and Brian and everybody there, they've all, they were always so nice to me. And, uh, again, this will be my first time headlining there. And it's just uh, it's great to finally be coming back. I, I'm super excited about it. Well,
1: headline, that, that's a total treat because, like I said, I haven't heard anything you said on anything, whether listening on Spotify or on YouTube or anything. It's 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 everything is hilarious. Like I'm talking, like cheeks hurting, <laughs> like you're grinning and and, and just I, like I said I you don't want to you don't want to give any of it away, but whoever's going to come to this national show, they're in for an absolute treat. So uh, we're excited to well, have you
4: back. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And for those who have heard. Some of it, whether it was on the internet or the last time I was at Zanies, you know, several years ago, like I do have a bunch of new material that's not anything you've heard on on the internet or or on satellite or anything like that or seen at a live show. It's like literally brand new. So, I'm going to be doing a bunch of that. So, even if you've seen me before, I think coming to Zanies you'll you'll have a whole lot of new material to hopefully enjoy. Oh, yeah. Um, So... That's really awesome. I I saw something
1: on your profile too. It said which is you've performed with some big names like Dave Chappelle and everything. But it said something about Mitch Hedberg. I've never known anybody that interacted with him. What I mean, what what's the story behind that?
4: So Mitch was uh, he's my all time favorite still to this day. He
1: uh-huh.
4: I was lucky enough to become friends with him and get to a point where he he liked having me as an opener. And you know I know there's couple other people that he felt that way about but he was the first comedian to take me out on the road as his opener um and uh and ironically one of my favorite memories of Mitch was at Zaney's in Nashville um I had been in Chattanooga the week before opening for Ron White and I recorded my very first album and the MC that week uh had a really, really, really thick southern accent. He was super funny and super nice, but his <laughs> accent was so thick yeah. and he um you know the introduction for my first ever album was this like really heavy draw southern accent introducing me and i the next week I was in Nashville at Zaney's with Mitch Hedberg, and he asked me how my um my recording went and I said, it was great except for this one part. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, well, I'll record your intro if you want me to. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. So I got my recording equipment and we were, we were in the green room at Zaney's and he gave me this awesome intro that I used for my first album. And that's the, I put a clip of just the intro online Um and gave a little bit of the backstory that I just shared with you on, on why it exists. But wow. for my very first album, I got introduced by by Mitch Hredberg calling me his
2: favorite.
1: That's awesome. But I mean, I could see why he feels that way. I mean, that what, wow. a, what a thrill, what an honor, but uh, yeah, the reason, like you said, like you enjoyed him and, and I enjoyed him because, it's like he knows what's in my brain, and he he said so much <laughs> in a whole set. Like his ADD, I just they'll never be another. I mean, he was truly one of a kind. But. Uh,
4: you're a hundred percent right. I mean, right. just uh, you know, at the time with I think with most things in life for anybody, comedian or not, like when things are going really good, you kind of take it for granted because you just a lot of times you're just naturally assuming like whatever it is is your new normal. And that's just how things are going to be. And it's not until someone or something is, is no longer around or taken away from you that you really start to appreciate, like, how awesome you had it. And, and hanging out with Mitch is one of those things. I mean, I soaked up every minute that I could with him, both off stage and watching him and, and uh, the way that he wrote material and just how generous he was to other comedians and how much he poured into the craft. And, like, that was never lost on me, but now that he's not around, it's just, it's amazing to think, like, that a story like that, that at the time would sound kind of cool to someone, that to people who've never met him or have become fans or never got a chance to see him live. Like, mm-hmm. some of the stories that I have firsthand or
3: the way that I
4: felt about when someone talked about Bill Hicks or Sam Kinison or somebody that I never got to see live.
1: yeah. Absolutely, and plus that's that's a great story for the book because I'm sure you're going to have a great one. Everybody's going to definitely <laughs> want to read it. But,
4: but yeah, that, well, thank you.
1: Yeah, that was awesome because I, I saw that. Like I said, reading, I was like Mitch Hedberg because, like you said, he, he his his uh, candle blew out really early. I didn't get to see him. You know, I've obviously seen his you know his comedy centrals and everything, and really admired him. But I was like, it, you know, it's it's with anything else like your Chris Farleys or your Kurt Cobains or something. It's just there was there was such a small time frame of interaction, like, I was like, oh, I hope he'll uh, talk to me a little bit about it, but that's that's really cool to know he was a genuine person, because he was hilarious, so. Oh, he was, he was the best. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, let me ask you this one more thing, and like I said, I'll uh, I'll let you go, I appreciate your time, and I uh, can't wait to see you in Nashville, but um being a headliner versus an opener, and I don't know if this is a, a trade secret, it's just something I was curious about. curious about, like, if you're if you are featuring for a a, a headliner, um, is there like a I don't know I wouldn't say hold back, but like do you ch- is there a way to tell jokes without upstaging the open like the headliner? Like, is it discouraged or frowned upon? Like, have you ever been funnier than the guy you're uh, uh, opening for? Does that make any sense?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I I would say that's the case. I think that's the case with anybody, and I think that's how you become a headliner. Did uh, you just uh, get to a point where a comedy club says we can't we can't put you in front of anybody because people can't follow you and I think a lot of people reach that point at some time and that's how they know they're ready to headline you yeah, know for me yeah. personally whether it's when I was a middle act or for people who're opening for me it's not really about how well you do. Like I don't want anybody to not do as good as they can, Uh but I do think that there's ways to still be courteous, you know, like, you know, sometimes it's on the club. Like I tend to request the people who middle for me because I want somebody whose pace or whose tone, it will compliment me. Sure, Um, Sure. You know, so like I won't have somebody that's like real high energy jumping around yelling and screaming because I can't, I I can't and don't want to try to match that when I get on stage. Like, I want somebody who's a solid joke teller, but I also want them to be good enough to get the audience in a position where they just want more comedy. You know, I don't want somebody that tanks it so that the audiences just can't wait to move on to something else. Like, I want them, the audience in a great position to continue and build off of what the opener did. And then also, if you have a joke that, you know, is a similar premise or might, might um, make it hard for the headliner to do, you know, something on a on a similar note. Then maybe you don't do it that week, um, you know. But I also, it, it's it's really just a, a common courtesy, you know. I w- there's never a time where I would tell an opener that was booked, you can't say this unless it's like a corporate gig or something where I need somebody to be squeaky clean. Um, you know, I think the most important thing is do the best you can. Try not to step on any premises that the headliner might have, and then, you know, don't go over your time, and if you do that and just act like a professional, that's how you get bumped up to headliner as quickly as you can just by doing well.
1: Right on. Well put well. So wise. Uh, The reason I brought it up, uh, because like I said, we were talking about you opening for Mitch Hedberg, but I listened not too long ago to Dane Cook, of all people. I know that's not really a, (laughs) a household name anymore, but. He was talking about um, he was performing, and the guy that was uh, uh, featuring for him, or opening, or whatever, stole his essence. And I just it just puzzled me. Like, <laughs> how do you take somebody's essence? I just didn't well, quite understand it. Yeah,
4: you know, I don't know exactly who he's referring to, but like Dane's a great example of someone that, you know, he he probably doesn't want someone who's very high energy and loud and jumps around on the stage opening for him. Cause that's what he's about to do. You know what I mean? So it sort yeah. of takes away, but you know, he should also be at the point where he's picking someone that he knows will compliment him, but not step on his toes. Sure. And sure. so, um, you know, I can see his, I can see his point, you know, and, the, and for him to say it that way, it sounds, you know, a little pretentious, But I understand, like he has a specific style. So if someone does that exact style, you know, like Mitch Hedberg wouldn't want someone doing pun one-liners to open for him because that's what he's about to do for forty-five minutes to an hour. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So like, like Jeff Dunham doesn't want a ventriloquist to open for him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know what I mean? Like,
4: like I get, I get why you would have an issue with that if you have a specific style where your style is like what you bring to the table like as much as your jokes it's the way that you deliver them you know like anthony jeselnik or like any of those guys that have like a real specific style you don't want someone doing the exact same thing in front of you but you know i'm a i'm a joke writer storyteller so like that's what most comedians are period so there's it's hard for me to tell, you know, say someone stole my essence. It's, yeah. uh, but, but there, you know, but there are energy levels that could affect how well I do. So that's something that I might take into account. Yeah. Excuse me, me good gravel, water that
1: right quick. Got something in my throat. <laughs> but uh, yeah. That I was just asking. I was just curious more than anything, but it, it makes sense. I mean, if, if you're big enough, you could you could bring your own people. I just, yeah. um, he was telling a story about essence, and I just, uh, you know, we were talking about opening. I was <laughs> always wondering, <laughs> like, like for a comedian that's trying to make his own way, it's like, you know, would you be paranoid about taking somebody's essence? But I, I see what you mean. I mean, if you can pair the right people, it, it shouldn't ever be an issue. So,
4: right. You know like Jeff Foxworthy like you you don't want some guy going you might be from the ghetto if (laughs) you know what I mean because it's like it's different but it's the same thing like and and you're gonna have that and there's room for that but you just don't want you know you don't want it all together on one show and if you're a headliner you don't you don't want somebody stealing that not stealing but taking that part away of the the lure of, of, of how you deliver your material
0: Next up here on the podcast, Talking Drums, with Jason Aldean's drummer, Rich Redman. He has a drum workshop called Drum Tensive coming up Saturday, January 11th. For more information, go to richredman.com. Enjoy.
1: Rich Redman, it is a pleasure to have a drummer's drummer on here, just a guy that just knows how to give and take. Thank you for taking the time.
3: Oh, thanks so much for having me, man.
1: Yeah, um, really been, been a big fan of yours for years. Uh, you know, seeing of course play on, on you know numerous hits, numerous shows all over the world with Mr. Uh, Jason Aldean. Uh, found you there on Facebook, uh, liked your page, and man, you're just digging into everything now. You're just uh, what acting, motivational speaker, which is awesome, very inspiring. Uh, got the best podcast in Nashville, I think you've got it, and oh, just just you. all around a bunch of cool stuff. So what's been going on with you?
3: Oh man, thanks, Joshua. Um. Yeah. It's you know. It's, it's social media is such a great way to you know connect with people or at least make an initial introduction and then really it's up to people, you know, if they want to take that into the you know into the real world. But it's it's been a great thing. But uh. But no, I've been in Nashville now. Looking now that we're into a new decade. Uh, yeah. Wow. 2020. Yeah. What the next ten years going to bring? I've been here 23 years and I've been playing with Mr. Aldeen for. 20 years, same guys, finishing each other's sentences, so I'm super grateful for that opportunity and that family, you know, then from that, over the years, I just kind of um, tried to build my reputation as a as an educator, you know, doing clinics all over the country, and then that turned into motivational speaking for, you know, Fortune 500 companies like Cisco and Microsoft, which has been great, and I put out a book um, called Crash Course of Success, Five Ways to Supercharge Your Personal and Professional Life, and that's on Amazon, and I've always wanted to act, especially comedically, so yeah. I've kind of been putting the time in to find great teachers and do all that stuff um, here in Nashville and Los Angeles.
1: That's awesome. So so uh, also on top of all the stuff you got going on, are you, are you talking like maybe doing some stand-up?
3: Uh, you know what? Um, my, my girlfriend of all people, I actually, I took an acting loss with Victoria Jackson from Saturday night live. She was on Saturday night live in the nineties. Uh-huh. And she said, rich, you're, you got a stand up act in you. And, and I was like, well, great, help me with it. Well, she goes, the first step is three minutes and then you get five, and then you get 10 and then you work up to 30. And then, you know, if you can do an hour, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, you know yeah. that's a long time. But, um, but no, if I can get three together, I might go to the outskirts of Nashville and, and, uh, you know get my bombing time in you know
1: sure i understand yeah yeah get your get your feet wet get everything Uh, because like you know um difference from from playing with a band if you if you miss a beat or somebody misses a note or a chord somebody's going to pick up you know kind of their slack but if you're telling the joke and it goes flat it's just you and your microphone
3: yeah and 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 (laughs) there's and you know you're expected to bomb which is um which is kind of refreshing that it's like it's just kind of like a rite of passage uh, yeah. So I have massive respect for comedians, and of course, I really enjoyed, you know, what Mark Maron did with his career. You know, twenty five, thirty years grinding on the road as a road comic, and then, you know, settling in Los Angeles, and then eventually getting his own re- uh, quasi reality sitcom, and then then starting to get other parts. So I kind of know how it all works now, and it's really the same as the music business. It's just having a craft, being involved with the community, um, being being open to failing making mistakes and then trying to get to know the gatekeepers because in every business there's there's gatekeepers and you have to figure out how to like get past these people or That's you it, know yeah. get in get in cahoots with them, you know. Sure. Uh
1: speaking of Mark Marion who I also enjoy, um, he's gonna play Jerry Wexler in the um Aretha Franklin biopic, which I thought was pretty groovy.
3: I know. He's fine he's getting hit 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 for all these things that are, you know, in his lane. Where he's basically you know playing an extension of his true personality which is pretty cool that's a really kind of what my goals are in that that field you know is to play a version of myself
1: yeah hey and, and like i said they they say that's the best thing when you can play yourself and it's kind of organic uh you know just organically and and if you can get into that rhythm like you said the gatekeepers and the who's who's and, the, and eventually the the uh, characters will find you they'll be like hey here, here's a guy that, that's you totally, I wrote this for you or vice versa. Uh, from what I've heard people saying, they're actually, you know, well uh, into the industry as far as acting and everything goes. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, man. Well, what have you been up to?
1: Oh, my gosh, just living life. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I am play music a little bit, amateurly here. I'm playing drums about 20-plus, uh, nowhere in the same caliber as you, but uh, you're one of my idols as far as drumming it out. Um, I did a little bit of stand-up, but now my kids are becoming older, and now I pretty much just work and uh, try to be at their beck and call when they need stuff.
3: <laughs> kids are yeah. good, man. You won't be alone later in life.
1: That's right. That's right. Take care of them in case, uh, you know, maybe they ready to take care of me. Um, what, uh, what did you do for your New Year's? Anything good going on
3: there? Oh, it was really fun. You know, I was, um, I went to Florida. My folks live in Port Charlotte, Florida, and, you know, I got an Italian mom, and she's an amazing cook and baker, so kind of went there and uh, just had a really great time, you know, I almost felt like an infant, I, I slept and I ate and I relaxed and I watched It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas Vacation and just kind of yeah. unplugged, and now we're back to the grind.
1: That's it, back back at it wide open, uh, yeah, I saw um, where uh, Jason Nadine what, the tour starts, what, like like two weeks?
3: Um, yeah, you know what? We are actually going to dust off some of, you know, it, we know how to play these songs, but it's like we can't risk anything. So if a couple of weeks go by, we'll get, have a rehearsal just yeah. to kind of dust everything off. And then at the end of the month, we're going to be playing a big festival in Cancun that Luke Bryan puts on. Nice. And um, then, when, then, in, uh, then in February, we launch into our um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're hitting everywhere, man. Orlando, Jacksonville. Des Moines, Charleston, West Virginia, Knoxville, Bozier City, uh, everywhere, St. Paul. It's going to be really, really great, and that will take us into um, mid-March.
1: Wow, so you're going to be everywhere on the road doing it. Are you still – speaking of that, are you still going to be doing this awesome podcast you have? If you could discuss that a little bit, are you going to do that from the road?
3: Well, you know what I do is um, today I just recorded three episodes. So a lot of times I'm in Nashville Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and so uh, if I'm in Nashville, I just record three or four episodes at a time. And we're averaging eight episodes a month. So I'm like I've got like um, another six in the can, and that I that I trickle out to a week and. Um, then I'm, I'm recording 23 episodes in January and 23 episodes in February. So wow. as I'm on the road and or, or doing other things in Los Angeles, I, my friend Jim McCarthy, my co-producer and co-host, can just kind of trickle these things out. And we're having a blast.
1: Sure. Yeah. It it looks fun. You know, watching it and listening. Uh, it, it is. It, it's a really great product you got. Um, I I really enjoy it uh, as a podcasting fan myself. I really like every episode you put out. It's got great content. All oh, thank as, you so much. Yeah, all your uh, all your guests are very engaging too, as as you are engaging for me, which I really appreciate. Considering you're recording all
3: day, so thank you so much for that. Um, Dude, my pleasure. Yeah, they, yeah. So for the listeners, I don't know if you put it in the show notes, but it's yeah. basically just called the Rich Redmond Show, and you can find it on uh, Apple Podcasts, um, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, and we film for YouTube as well. So we're just we're just having a ball, and I'm inter I'm interviewing um, drummers, musicians, producers, uh, authors, just different interesting creative folks.
1: Yeah, um, one thing I particularly liked, uh, I was watching on YouTube, speaking of that, is when you're talking to um, the gentleman, I can't remember his name right now, but you're talking about him playing, uh, was it Wild Angels by Martina McBride? I really enjoyed that story. Oh, yeah, Lonnie Wilson. Lonnie Wilson, that's it. Um, he was talking about um, you know the backstory and how he didn't feel good, was landed by the kick drum or whatever. Just that's great stuff for a guy that plays around You're like, yeah, because I mean it's it, those groovy feels and you're kind of describing them as he you know performing and everything. And I was like, man, that just hit the nail on the head. That was just a perfect story that you wouldn't really hear anywhere else.
3: Well, just the idea of oh of being of being sick and having to do the session.
1: One take. Yeah, I just thought that was so cool, because you would, you would never know. I mean, you just, you know, you, you listen to the song forever, and him just saying, yeah, you know, it didn't feel good. He said, I had one take in me, and, and we just had this one shot, and he just said he nailed it. So I just thought that was okay. cool.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to hear the interesting stories behind songs and, and performances. And um I just had Mr. Paul Lyme on today, who played for, um on all the Shania records and all the Lionel Richie records, and he's responsible for, 250 million units sold, you know. Wow, gosh. He helped that process. So it's so awesome to hear people's stories. And we all have stories no matter what season of our life we're in. And, of course, the older we get, the more stories we have.
1: Yeah. Um, there's something I was hoping to maybe have a moment with you about. One of my favorite memories of you playing drums uh, or or anything, like, okay, obviously the Dirt Road anthem was the biggest song in the history of music there for a little while. Um, but I remember sitting watching the uh, CMT Music Awards in 2011. I'm Going to go back a little bit. Yeah. When when you guys did the Dirt Road Anthem at Bridgestone Arena, everything was on point. Just the moment. What really struck me is how like you know Jason and Ludacris were doing their thing, and then it was like the whole arena was just moving together, waving their hands back and forth. I just yeah. didn't know like you you being in the best spot you know keeping the rhythm and everything. Do you remember that? Do you have anything about that? Because like that, the energy in that room had to have been, or that arena
3: had to have been just
1: off the charts.
3: Yeah, man. Well, that's that's always a really exciting part of the show because um, cause he always does that at that moment at uh, the final chorus outro of the song, and he gets everybody waving from side to side like a like a like a giant human windshield wiper. Yeah. Party. <laughs> uh, and it's really fun. You're right. We do have the best seat in the house. We really do. Is as drummers, we see it all unfold, and that's why so many of us drummers end up with chick singers, because we're sitting behind them. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, to me, you know, just being a drummer, I think it's the best thing you can play, and um, um, you just, you've been you've been keeping him up all the time, and, and keeping his back beat, and wh- how many hits have you played on now? Like, number one, it's got to be, what, 30 by now, or more?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, that, hopefully soon, hopefully I'll make it to that. Uh, I've played on 27 number one songs.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Gosh, twenty seven, man. That's that's all fingers and toes and then some that's so groovy. That's, what uh what is your favorite song you've ever yeah, what uh what's your favorite song you ever recorded on or participated on? Which one do you love or look forward to or have enjoyed in your lifetime? Hmm,
3: that's a great question, man. Um You know, I I really like all the you know the Aldean stuff, especially some of this later stuff. We even that you can the kick drum is a little louder in the mix. I a little years ago I, I always thought the kick drum was a little light. Um and so we brought it back it's up in the mix and it's a lot snappier. Um I really like that. And then of course I've got this the stuff I did for I did um two records for Thompson Square. Yes. And they I, I was expecting them to go on to like larger, larger success, but they're still a great, you know, couple and they still are play out and their their music really holds up on the radio and a uh, song called Are You Going to Kiss Me or Not is actually uh, – was the number three most played song of the decade, 2010
1: to 2020.
3: So How cool geez, is that? I'll take it. Yeah, and and
1: he um, – Kiefer, he does a lot of comedy stuff. I've actually seen him at Zaney's. He He's trying to get his feet in the comedy world as well.
3: Yeah, how's he doing? Uh,
1: he, he's pretty good. You know, he had a couple of singer-songwriter friends, and uh, Dusty Slay, who's been on the Opry a couple of times there. Love Dusty. Dusty's so funny, man. He's awesome. But, um, yeah, I was thinking if you ever – that would probably be a great spot for you to kind of get started probably with that group because they did like a comedy and songs and shared some stuff. And I just thought it was a really – it was a great time sharing both things kind of uh, conjoining um, the music of Nashville with with the comedy and and all that stuff. Uh, He's done it, I think, twice, yeah. I love Um, that, man and uh, sorry my ADD was kicking in
4: great. um
1: the the drum the drum opportunity you offer is amazing i saw on your facebook page where you like uh allow you have students and then you you do some hands on stuff with them and then like record them afterwards playing drums what's that all about that is a great opportunity for anybody oh I man well
3: think. thank you yeah, i don't know yeah. i don't know when this exactly will air but i've actually got a a drum tense of the 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 sign-ups are a little light this time of year because it's always a risk because people are coming out of Christmas and New Year's and going broke on the holidays with travel and everything, but yep. um, I have a program I call the Drum Tensive, and the Drum Tensive is eight hours of hands-on training with me, so we talk about um, rudiments, hand development, um, reading music, the natural number system, creating charts, playing with wow. click tracks, um, overdubbing percussion, the the business of music and cultivating a career in the music business and then at the end of the day the kids all get up and I ask them to transcribe a song note for note and then they get up and they play along with the song and then I film it and then they get a copy of the video that they can use on their YouTube channel or to kind of promote their drumming so I usually do those maybe two to four times a year when I'm in Nashville I do them over at the um, Drum Paradise um, Mm -hmm. which is our big cartage company here in town and in the back of Drum Paradise there's a place called the um the drum pad that my drum tech john hall actually runs um so i don't know when this will run but if anybody's interested you can just hit me at booking at richredmond.com and that next one is going to be saturday january the 11th from 9 a.m to 5 p.m over here in music city
1: Groovy. Yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to put it out Sunday, but I'll, I'll do a little clip ahead of time and we'll mention that. Um, like I said, watching it, and you mentioned two things that are so important. Okay, if you want to work here, you said natural number system and then that elusive click track, which has some people, they get paranoid by it. You know, I mean, it's kind of like make or break. Like in the back of your mind, if you hear that click track going on, some people get kind of lost in it, or at least from what I've heard.
3: Um yeah, you know, I mean, I've been working so much of the click track over the last, I don't know, 25 years that I don't really think about it anymore, but there was a time in human history that was like it was like um it was like a time where drummers were like I'm not going to play with that. I've got great time. But yeah. music was just changing and it just it just it, you know, imagine if we hadn't done that, then we wouldn't have had these perfect sounding records like, you know, Thriller and and um you know lionel richie all night long we wouldn't have been able to to capture that kind of like perfect feel yeah um so it's just a matter of treating it like um i just pretend it's like will ferrell like with a cowbell you know
1: (laughs) yeah yeah gotta have more gotta have more of that yeah um uh last thing i wanted to to speak on and, and like i said thank you for talking with us uh i didn't even know it existed i saw your um your uh your girlfriend uh, bragging on you. Uh, happiness Hall of Fame. Didn't even know such a thing happened. I can see why you're in it because you're a very gracious, nice person to speak with. Uh, what, what is this all about, this Happiness oh, Hall man. of Fame?
3: Oh, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My friend Michael Duffy is a um, – he's a fantastic author. He wrote five books on happiness, so if you if you um, Google Michael Duffy Happiness Hall of Fame um, you'll see that he's written five books on the subject of happiness. And he's also very tied in with Stanford university and he created this nonprofit, um, called the happiness hall of fame. And in that hall of fame are people like, um, uh, you know, Deepak Chopra to all the way to like NFL, uh, Super Bowl winning athletes to, you know, Dolly Parton and everyone in between. Yeah. And he's, he, uh, in, inducted me and I had a, a cool ceremony at Stanford university it was happened just last November. And I had to do, a I did it like an 18 minute speech on what happiness is to me. And I called it happiness rocks. And it's a speech <laughs> that I, you know, now share with school children. And a lot of times I'll incorporate some of that, um, that the information and the takeaways and the storytelling in my normal speech, which is based on my concept for success called crash, crash course <laughs> for success. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's a success philosophy I share with like Fortune 500 companies and school kids and all that kind of stuff. So, um, God, if anybody's interested in what I do as far as like playing the drums, teaching the drums, motivational speaking, my books, or my acting, it's just, just go to richredmond.com and it's R-E-D-M-O-N-D.com.
0: All right, time to close the blinds, pull down the curtains, and shut the door on another. Awesome, fun filled, fantastic podcast. Special thanks to all my guests drummer Rich Redman, comedian Josh Need, country soul singer Rowdy. Appreciate you being a part of this week's podcast. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you, the listeners. I really love what I do. Appreciate you taking the time to listen. You could be doing anything and you're listening to this podcast. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And if you know anybody you think would be a great guest, have them hit me up, Josh Belcher at Hotmail. All right, as we're in the beginning stages of 2020, we should have a safe week. And remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. Take care, and we'll catch you next week. All right, bye.